0: A lot of you have known and have heard it's super exciting for our family, but also hard in the sense that we love and value this community and it will be um, certainly a loss in our lives to not have this experience every, every week. But we love you guys and I'm excited to be sharing with you today. One of, the, one of the things that's actually been very convenient about our move is that I work from home and so my job just will transfer right over. And I'm a consultant, so I, I talk to companies about strategy, about technology. And one of the things that we've noticed and that I've noticed in my work with companies is that the way we communicate with each other has changed radically, even over the last five or so years. If you imagine, um, if you were to tell yourself 10 years ago, you know, everyone's going to be just texting and, and shooting everything via text, like it's, it's really weird to see how much that's caught on. And how even enterprises and companies will communicate with you via text message. The text message medium has taken its own kind of path to maturity where now there are nuances you can send in your text message, right? So I think this side of the room, you know, you guys know about emojis and bit emojis and all the nuances you can send now with Apple's new kind of text feature where you can slam the message or you can send birthday balloons with it, right? Text messaging is becoming really mature. And for those of you that was like, totally over your head, text messaging nuance you might get, right? Or or one you probably do, right? You're texting with someone and you want to make, you want to get your point across. So what do you do? Put it in all caps. Somebody said it, right? (laughs) So all caps, right? The most basic form to kind of get someone's attention, right? If you send a message in all caps or if you get a message in all caps, you're like, okay, whatever this person is talking about is actually really serious. Let me pay attention. So all caps kind of lets us know, right? That the matter is important. And what we're going to be looking at today is kind of the, it's called an epistle. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in this area called Galatia. And epistles were kind of like text message, because that's how they communicated. So when you're reading an epistle, you're kind of, we're reading Paul's text messages. We're reading the things that he communicated. There's greetings, there's blessings, there's instruction. There's all these things that he's communicating via this epistle. Now what's interesting in Paul's life Paul lived a really crazy life. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten for his faith. He was martyred. He saw Jesus face-to-face through a miraculous encounter. He was set free from prison by an angel. Paul lived this really crazy, intense life, not to mention he wrote most of the New Testament. So pretty crazy, pretty important life. I think Marvel could probably make a movie about Paul. There's enough action in what he's doing to to have a whole movie made. So I'll let you guys figure out who's going to star in it. But he lives this crazy life but there's only one time in his epistles in the New Testament that he uses all caps. So the underlying question, I'm going to tell you what he used it for in a second, but the underlying question that that brings up in my mind is despite the craziness in Paul's life, all the things that he was dealing with, shipwrecked, homeless, beaten, all that, where should he be putting his emphasis? And for us, we have stress, we have families, we have jobs, we have kids, despite all that, If we could only emphasize one thing, what should it be? And even in a culture that's becoming increasingly uh, separated from the church, are the things that we're emphasizing resonating with the people around us, with those who we want to see come to know Jesus? There's this quote from Tim Keller that I really like. It's from his book, The Prodigal God. The entire book is good and it's short, which is uh, a personal, personal thing I like about books when they're short. But Tim Keller says this, in his book, The Prodigal God. He says, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw button-down, conservative, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or broken and marginal, avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. So Paul is writing amongst a lot of stress, amongst a lot of cultural tumult, amongst being persecuted, and he's putting his emphasis somewhere, and it's the same emphasis that Jesus put that attracted people. That attracted people from all different types of backgrounds. And at the end of this letter that we're gonna look at in Galatians chapter 6, Paul uses all caps. He says, See what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hands. So he didn't even have the caps lock button, he just wrote it big. <laughs> he's writing in all caps. He's like, you, you gotta, you have to get this point. This is the point, this is where I'm gonna put my emphasis. And the point he's making in chapter 6, is really the same point he makes throughout the book of Galatians, that for Christians, it's all about the gospel, because the gospel is what changes everything. So the gospel, as we know, it's Paul's reason for transforming radically. If some of you know his story, Paul was originally called Saul, and he had this radical transformation where he met Jesus, where he met the gospel in bodily form. The gospel was Paul's reason for risking his life to share the message that he once tried to destroy and persecute. The gospel was what radically changed Paul's worldview and allowed him to see people differently. People who he once considered his enemies were now his friends. The gospel, as it's called, changes everything. And one of the reasons why we may not be attracting people the way that Jesus did and the way that Paul did is because we may not know the gospel in its most simplistic and pure form. So, I'm going to start there kind of foundationally before we get into the book of Galatians. The word gospel in Greek means good news. And there's a really simple place in the Bible where Paul explains what the gospel is Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm going to summarize those two verses just for the sake of time. Paul says this For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. And to take that a step further, Paul's saying the righteous will live by faith. We have to ask, well, faith in what, right? What is the object of our faith? Paul goes on to explain that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, you see, just at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the major point that Paul's making in this letter and what what he's defending, the gospel he's defending, the specific point of it is, is that we are justified, or we're right with God, by faith. So Paul spends a lot of Galatians, especially in chapter 1, giving what I'll call apostolic credentials. He's introducing himself and telling the churches why they should be listening to him, kind of sharing his testimony. But he also talks about what the gospel is in its most simplistic form, and he defends it from people who are trying to pervert it. So today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to start by just going through the, through the first few verses of Galatians where Paul introduces himself. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians. We're going to look at the whole of chapter 1 today. So starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not, sent not, fr- sent not from by man nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God the Father, and grace and peace to our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and tr- are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel to you, should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Okay, we're going to stop there. So the first eight verses, Paul has some really strong words for people that were perverting or changing the message of the gospel, meaning that they were adding to it. And in the case of the church at this time, what they were adding to it, we'll learn in later chapters and verses in Galatians is this idea that you're justified by faith, but you also have to keep certain aspects of the Jewish law, which for them was circumcision. So they were saying, you're justified by faith and you have to be circumcised. So they were adding to the message of the gospel. Now, when I hear that, I'm like, why would anyone believe that? Like, it's pretty simple, right? You're just justified by faith. But even in my own life, I think of things that I try to justify myself with in ways that I personally add to the gospel. And maybe not ways that I think will get me right with God, but maybe ways that I think I'll keep or maintain my relationship with God. Justification is past, present, and future, meaning it's now and it's extending. But a lot of times I become insecure when I'm like, oh man, I'm not praying as much as this other person. I'm not reading my Bible as much as this other person. Am I really right with God, right? We tend to want to make our relationship with God not dependent on Christ's work, but dependent on ours, because it's something we can see, it's something we can touch, it's something we can do. And then what we're doing when we're doing that, though, is we're no longer living by faith. And that's exactly what Romans 16 says, the righteous will live by faith. But we want to make it about us sometimes, and we want to make it about works. And I know it's tempting to do that, because a lot of times my mind is like, well, if you're saying that this is all about faith, and that there are no works involved at all, it's just this faith I have to have, and it doesn't matter how I live, or it doesn't matter how You live, or your kids, or your roommates—it doesn't matter how anybody lives. It's just about faith. Does that mean we just we just do what we want? Everyone just lives how they want because we have this faith that the Bible talks about? Now, the answer to that question—if we kind of dig deeper into what the gospel truly is—is no, because the gospel has content, which we just talked about, right? Romans chapter one verses sixteen and seventeen, Romans five eight, that we're justified by faith, that Christ died for the ungodly. That's the content of the gospel. Tony Evans, who's one of my favorite pastors, uh, has this has, has developed this concept, right, of, of gospel content, which we just talked about. But there's also the scope of the gospel. So anything you read in the New Testament that encourages Christians to live like Jesus, those are things that are the scope of the gospel, right? Matthew 25 talks about caring for the poor. John 15 talks all about how we should abide in Christ. Uh, we have First, Second Timothy 4:2, sharing our faith. 1 Corinthians 6.18, fleeing immorality. Romans 10, that whole long passage about missions, right? Those are all things that are in the scope of the gospel. But what we do in the ways we pervert the gospel is we take things that are in the scope and we try to make them the content. So for the church at that time, it was circumcision, right? Scope of the gospel, keeping your body pure, which was a sign at that time. We're going to make that content now. That's perverting the gospel. That's another gospel. For us, it might be mission trips, right? Mission trips are not the content of the gospel. We're not justified by faith and going on mission trips. We're not kept right with God by faith and by going on mission trips or marriage or reading our Bible or praying. These are good things. These are very good things, but they're not the content of the gospel. They are in the scope of what Jesus calls us to do and be. So what Paul is defending here is when we mix those two, right? We take things that are in the scope and we try to make them the content justification by faith, that is the content of the gospel. Paul says this very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, to the point about doing what we want, right, and living how we want, we've just got faith, we're going to live how we want or do what we want, the Bible warns about that too. James chapter 2, verse 14 says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was out without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if, it, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So how do we reconcile this, right? There's kind of this tension You're saying, on one hand, I'm justified by faith. But then on the other hand, you're saying, faith without works is dead. I think the Bible holds these two concepts in a very beautiful tension that sometimes we're uncomfortable with, especially I think it's a Western construct. We want things to just be one simple, straightforward fact or answer. When really, there's tension here. And it's a beautiful tension that the Bible creates. And what holds that tension together is the way the Bible describes what faith really is. I tend to think of faith as cognitive belief that something did happen or that it exists. Really, the Bible's definition of faith is much deeper than that. Faith is this process of going from death to life. Faith is something that God actually gives to us as a gift. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to summarize the beginning of those few verses there, but it says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ." When we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so the key here is not just learning new things and trying to do them. That's not what faith is, that's not what it is for us to walk with Christ. The key is receiving this grace gift of faith going from death to life, being made alive in Christ. Jesus didn't die so that we could just have a set of new beliefs. He died so that we could have new life. And so for us in the room today, that's something we can meditate on and try to chew on. Am I acting out of this new life that Christ has given me, or am I just trying to obey and follow rules and beliefs that I think are going to keep me right with God? I'm going to foreshadow a little bit to next week, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul goes on this beautiful description of his identity in Christ, and he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul's faith was made alive. It wasn't just something he believed and was trying to hold himself to. It was something that God had made alive in him. That's something we can ask God for this morning. That's something I ask God for a lot. Lord, help me have faith. Help me believe. I don't want to just be doing and trying to follow rules. I need you to live through me. And that's what Jesus offers us. So just to review, content of the gospel, Romans 1.16, Romans five chapter 8 we're justified by faith because Christ died for the ungodly. Scope of the gospel is our ongoing, imperfect, patient, try, try again, fail, be accountable, right, means of becoming the mature Jesus followers that Christ died so that we could be. And that's all rooted in that grace gift of faith. So content of the gospel, justification by faith, scope of the gospel, is it's, it's our sanctification. It's our ongoing process of becoming the people that Jesus needs us to be or wants us to be. And even in this passage, Paul is defending the content of the gospel from people who are trying to pervert it. But as we read, we can even see as Paul's giving his apostolic credentials, the scope of the gospel is at work in his life. So I'm going to pick up now In verse 10, there's there's a couple things we'll talk about how the scope of the gospel has affected Paul's life. We're going to read a few verses at verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. So the first way that we see the scope of the gospel impacting Paul's life is how he views his own identity. Paul draws this really strong, blind. He says, I can't, I can no longer live for the approval of people and be a servant of Christ at the same time. And if we look at these verses, look how he describes himself in verse 14, his previous way of life, living in a Jewish religion, where he was zealous about the traditions of fa- his fathers, right? So he was all about living up to the expectations of other people, and he was about advancing past those his own age. So his identity came from meeting other people's expectations. And doing things better than other people. That sounds a lot like my job in corporate culture, right? It's all about whose expectations you can meet and what you can do better than somebody else. That's what Paul's previous life was. But the scope of the gospel has now changed the way Paul views his identity. Even if we read in the beginning of the chapter, listen to how Paul introduces himself. Sent not from God, or sent not from man, but from God. And then he also talks about the brothers and sisters who are with him. So his orientation to the people around him has also changed. They're no longer his competition. So one practical application we can think of is: if if we're living within the scope of the gospel is how do we view the success of others? Is it something that makes us insecure? Is it something we feel like we need to do better than other people to validate ourselves all the time? I love even, not in this letter, but in another epistle, or I guess for today's conversation, text message that Paul is sending to another church. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.19, As the believers there are maturing, notice how his description of them is so different. It says this, For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown? In which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? That's a radical difference from verse 14 in Galatians 1, where he's describing how much he was about advancing past those in his own age. Now Paul sees the success of others as something that he doesn't have to be insecure about. Because the gospel changes everything. It allows us to see the success of others in light of God's eternal glory and that justification by faith, that content of the gospel we talked about, that gives Paul, and it gives us as well, an eternal joy that allows the temporary success of this world to be in proper perspective. So not only has the gospel changed Paul's identity, the way Paul views himself, but another way the gospel and its scope has impacted Paul as we see in this letter is his view of life and his value for life. So we're going to pick up now at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Few have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But later I I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, also known as Peter. And stay with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that that before God, what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So Paul as he matures and grows in the gospel, now has a different value for life. As we read the end of this chapter, Paul is continuing on giving his apostolic credentials, telling them his journey and faith and how he's matured and become a believer. And Paul describes his interaction or introduction to the gospel of something that was not of human origin, and that is a literal account of what happened. So, In Acts chapter 9, some of us know this story. Paul's on the road of Damascus. He's going down to persecute Christians, and he has this encounter with Jesus. This is Jesus who resurrected and is ascended to heaven, and Jesus appears radically before him. And his encounter with Jesus is what changed him. It's what took him from Saul to Paul. It's what took him from persecuting Christians to now risking his life to share the message of Jesus with other Christians. And then even in Acts chapter 7, Paul's previous way of life was pretty radical. Paul was once a, a very well-known persecutor of the church. When Stephen, the first New Testament martyr, was killed, Paul was there. He was Saul at the time. He was there approving of what was going on. And then even in Acts chapter 9, before he meets Jesus, Paul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. But now, the believers there at the end of that chapter Paul's talking, or, or they're, they're describing the believers that Paul's interacting with. They're like, wait a minute. This guy used to persecute us, and now he's preaching to us. So the Christians he's among have noticed a radical change in Paul's life because the gospel changes everything, right? Paul now values the lives of those very people that he used to persecute. And now he's building and risking his life to share the faith that he once tried to destroy because he met Jesus. The way, the truth in the life. So for us to walk and in, in, in step with Jesus and walk and mature in the scope of the gospel is to continually walk in Jesus's truth. One of the truths that's in this passage that also shapes Paul's value for life is him noticing or articulating the origin of his own life. So in addition to valuing the lives of he, those he used to persecute, Paul also realizes the origin of his life. I want to Read again for emphasis, verse 15. Paul says, But when God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. What strikes me here is that Paul realizes God's call on his life is present, even in his mother's womb. And Paul's early life, especially, was spent persecuting Christians. Paul was born. Saul of Tarsus, he grew up in a very strict Jewish upbringing that, as we learned in verse 14, he very strictly adhered to and was very zealous for. But the gospel changes everything. And so when Paul met Jesus, he had this amazing encounter that brought him from Saul to Paul that changed him and, and changed his value for life. So now, as I think about Paul, and I think about the call that was on his life, even when he was born, I don't think there are many people that were present at Paul's birth that were like, you know, he's going to be a preacher. He's going to be a preacher to the Gentiles, right? Paul has this very typical upbringing for a Jew, and he adheres to it. But then he doesn't change until he meets Jesus. He has this radical transformation, this story of grace that the gospel has led to. And what I, what I lament, and what, I, what, what really hurts my heart to kind of read and think about, is Paul realizing the grace of God was on his Life, even in his mother's womb, is how many amazing, unlikely, uncanny stories of grace that people would praise God for, how many of those stories have been lost because of abortion. I know the, discussing, the discussion surrounding that topic can be very contentious, and oftentimes people, mothers, women, men, are just choosing what they consider to be the lesser of two evils. However, the scope of the gospel calls us to walk in truth. And according to Paul, that truth includes loving those whom God is calling by his grace back to himself. And according to Paul, that includes those in the womb. Now, this is not the part of the message where I get angry and I tell you who you should vote for and I tell you about a politician that's going to solve all this because really valuing life is so much more than that. And so even then, even now, it would be a mistake for me as a man even to stand here and to know and to pretend that I'll know what it's like to carry a child, or to know the sickness, the pain, the sacrifice, and even life-risking situations that women put themselves in to bring life into the world. I'll also never know the shame that is unfairly placed on women who have a non-culturally ideal pregnancy. But it would also be a mistake for me as a man to not encourage myself and encourage other men to allow the gospel to view and shape how we view life. We as men share an equal role in protecting and encouraging and supporting women as they bring life into the world. And many men have also been guilty of playing a role and not speaking up for and sometimes even encouraging women to not go on with their pregnancy. And so men, we play a role as well and have to take responsibility for speaking up and acknowledging the importance of those that are in the womb whom God is calling back to himself. Now what gives me hope in this situation is I think about the many lives that have been lost is again, the content of the gospel. And Jesus specifically said, he came so that we could have abundant life. Not just abundant conception, but abundant life. And no matter your past or your present regarding the issue of life in the womb, the content of the gospel holds true for you. That while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And additionally, it's that very grace of God that comes through faith that gives us hope to really walk in line with the truth that Paul is laying out here. So I'm not asking you to grit your teeth and try harder or be better. I'm saying receive grace this morning to walk in line with the truth that Paul is laying out here. And what I like about Paul is his view of life is very holistic. So previously, Paul used to persecute people that were not like him, specifically those who weren't religiously like him. And now he values their lives, so much so that he wants to reach them for the go- reach them with the gospel, right? So he values the lives of those who are religiously different than him. Chapter 2, which we're going to look at next week, Paul challenges the other, apost- the other apostles to care for the poor. And then at the end of chapter 2, Paul confronts Peter face-to-face, gets right in his face because Peter was causing racial division within the church. Now, in today's culture, it seems strange, right? People want you to pick one side or the other. It seems strange that someone would care about life in the womb, and also those lives affected by poverty, by racism, by other means that our culture does not respect and value life. But the gospel changes everything. And the scope of our gospel is bigger than any social, cultural, or political ideology that exists today. And so as I call the band back up, I want us to respond. I want us to respond and remember where our emphasis should be. We're justified by faith. We are justified by faith that at the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The next few weeks, we're going to unpack what it means to walk in step with the gospel. We're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit. We're going to talk about holding one another accountable to walking in truth. But today, I want us to respond and reflect on the content of the gospel. Maybe today's a day where we need to ask Jesus to increase our faith. Maybe we've been walking and trying to just follow things that we believe or that other people believe. Maybe today's a day to reassure, reassure ourselves of our identity in Christ, that we are justified by faith and not by works, not by other people's expectations, not by what we can do better than other people. And maybe today is a day to appreciate and value life. You know, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Uh, we don't have to wait to celebrate those among us who have sacrificed so that we could live. That could be our mothers, that could be mentors, that could be friends. Maybe we need to give a word of encouragement to somebody who has laid down their lives so that we could be the people that God is calling us to be. And again, the the content of the gospel is maybe something we need to just reflect on today. We could talk all day about you know sanctification, those things that we're called to be as mature believers. But maybe today is the day to ask the Lord, who do I need to share the content of the gospel with, the fact that we're justified by faith? That's a powerful message. And I've actually thought in my own life, like, you know, I can talk all day about church history, about Christian ethics, about uh, justice issues, but we have to get to the content of the gospel as well, that we're justified by faith. And there are people in our city and in our community that would probably really appreciate hearing that and knowing that so maybe we can ask the Lord, who do we need to share the content of the gospel with? Whatever the Lord's calling you to, let's respond as we worship because the gospel is what changes everything.